This episode of the Best Seats Podcast is brought to you by, well, you. To learn how you can support the show, go to thebestseats.com slash Patreon. Once there, you'll learn how you can get early access to shows, ad-free listening, the ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, and more. Once again, that's thebestseats.com slash Patreon. But enough of that. On to the show. Welcome to the first ever episode 30 of the Best Seats Podcast, the only podcast bringing you interviews with the best and most talented folks from the hospitality industry from Southern California and beyond each and every episode. I'm your host, Groff McCarthy, founder of The Best Seats. Thank you, as always, to Allie Coyle for providing the music for the show. You can find her work at AllieCoyleMusic.com. And always, if you enjoy the show, please leave a rating review wherever you're listening to it to help other folks discover it as well. And for more content, go to thebestseats.com. What an episode, 30 episodes. Um, it's a personal achievement for me, but this episode is extremely special, mainly for the fact that it's the very first episode since starting the podcast that has been done in person. Um, with some restrictions lifting for COVID-19, um, obviously, all precautions were taken, social distancing, all the equipment was sanitized safely, et cetera, et cetera, for my guest um, and upcoming guests who do choose to interview in person. I'm more than happy to go to locations now. I'm a little more comfortable with it um, as things open up. Obviously, still taking precautions as we're in the middle of a global pandemic, but it's exciting nonetheless to be able to get out and talk to somebody in person, face-to-face, or at least a distanced face-to-face, as I did with my guest for this episode Luis Del Pazo, brand new appointed bar manager at Mayfield, also recently opened. Um, I've had Mayfield's owner, George Barker, on the show before. You've probably heard that one. Mayfield has been getting rave reviews ever since it opened a couple of weeks ago. They're about to open for full service. But Luis kind of came on in the last second. Um, he only had about five days or so to put a cocktail menu together. You're going to kind of hear about that in the episode. But he's been a staple of the Orange County bar scene for years. Before this, he was at Gracias Madre up in Newport Beach. He's done time at some really, really big staple places. Um, 2019 Bartender of the Year by, I think it was Orange Coast Magazine, but just an awesome guy, huge advocate for ethical agave, um, using kind of lesser known spirits, really promoting some of those brands, um, and a really, really special talent. He's someone that I am a big fan of. I like his work. I like his drinks. Um, I was so happy when he not only agreed to the podcast, but when he suggested coming down to the restaurant and doing it in person. So if the audio on this one is a little bit different, again, we were in the middle of the restaurant, um, you know, distance away from customers and stuff like that. But still, all the windows are open, all the doors are open. There's, you know, trucks going by, stuff like that. Luckily, no cop cars. So if you hear sirens, those are on your end and you should pull over and respect the authorities. But otherwise, take some of the noise with a grain of salt. Um, Exciting for me, the first one, being able to kind of move the equipment, get set up, things like that. We really get off to a brisk pace, so this is kind of a fast one. But again, I hope you enjoy. This is so much fun. You're going to learn a lot in this one. With episode 30, my guest, bar manager at Mayfield, Luis Del Pozo. Um, obviously, for everybody who is listening, first time you can hear everything in the background. This is the first in-person time that we're getting to do an episode of the Best Seats Podcast, and I could not be more excited to sit down with my guest today, 
Luis, go ahead and introduce yourself for the people. Give a little bit of a background. How's it going, guys? My name is Luis Del Pozo. I'm the beverage director at Mayfield. Um, so happy to be here. Um, I originally was the beverage director for Newport Gracias Madre, and before that, I was the AC Hotel. So here I am now. So obviously, first time getting to record one of these in a restaurant is exciting for me because it means that I get to not only shower and put on clothes, but get out of my bedroom. Uh, being able to do these in person and actually having both mics is super exciting. But dude, I'm super, super fired up to kind of sit down with you and talk about everything. I'm excited. Because this has been a whirlwind for you. Yes. I mean, Mayfield itself, um, not fully open for service, doing their supper clubs at the moment. Obviously, the market is open during the day. But you got here and it was like a bolt of lightning. Yep. I mean, we're recording this September 9th. Um, it'll go live a little bit after that, but how long have you been here? Because it just, you hit the scene running. Yeah, like I only had five days to set up shop, so it was a quick turnaround. It was more of like, did it make sense to do it? And for me, it was all about, you know, having the, the freedom to create what I wanted, but at the same time have a theme around it. And that theme around it is chef and, and everyone around here, the family. Um, chef Hiro, uh, he has this palette that is amazing and, and it really is going to help me develop my own palette on its own because there's a lot of flavors I have never tasted in my life so I'm really excited to taste those and those are a little bit of flavors that I've been putting out in these new cocktails that I just created so um, it's awesome. I mean it's one thing to take over a bar program but then normally again when we're not dealing with the global pandemic in a state that's on fire and you know so forth you have time to build out the program put together the menu meet with the chef really kind of develop kind of a cohesive working relationship with everybody. What was it like for you coming in and having to meet everybody, get your feet wet, learn the systems, learn the restaurant, but also have to put together not just the bar program, but also the ordering and getting those bottles on the back bar, et cetera. Um, well, meeting up with Chef was awesome. Uh, as far as how we got set up, we just basically got to know each other. And from there, just built that chemistry because, you know, without that chemistry, it's harder to work with someone. And so we just... You no, know, I talked to one one and what we're after and you know we we talked of what we wanted for the restaurant and what would be best for it and uh, we put everything else aside and make sure that everything that we do is for for the uh, guest experience and quality overall so um, you know that's really what we want to put out as far as uh, ordering for my from my vendors I have my go-to people because I've been working with them for the past three to four years so um, and and time crunches like this, it was perfect to reach out to um, my vendors and um, and they really came through because in three days time, like, okay, we got this, we got this, we got this. I'm like, cool. So based on that, I was able to create my, my recipes on stuff that I knew I was going to have without worrying about not being here. I've had a couple of people on the show before who work on that other side of the bar. They are vendors. They work for different brands. Uh, people you know pretty well, like Ryan Altry and a couple other people. Yes. Was it exciting for them to get a call, be like, oh my God, a new bar, like you're actually going to order, holy shit, like maybe <laughs> I can actually get out of my own apartment and get off Zoom calls and do something else. Totally. It's like a, it's like a, I feel like it's a candy store because uh, my, the vendors just keep hitting me up, which is awesome because it gives me all these options to work with and, and like we're, we're trying to change our menu every two to three weeks. So if I'm not able to bring it in this, you know, first round, I can bring it out next time. So that's, what's cool about it. Um, yeah, I'm excited, and, 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 and all the vendors that I've worked with are wonderful, so they always try to do their best to help me out as best as I can, and, you know, we work, we work with one another. When you're putting together a cocktail program like the ones that you're personally known for, and for anybody who hasn't had your drinks, first of all, shame on you, unless you're listening <laughs> from out of state, but for people that know you, they're 
they're delicate, they're nuanced, but they're also not afraid to go with kind of big, bold flavors. Yes. You're very, very well known and very well versed in the agave industry um, and kind of those spirits and that repertoire. Coming from Gracias Madre, obviously the menu that you guys had there was A, one of my favorite menus of all time because it works so hard to educate guests on a spirit that I kind of think is maligned a little bit even here in Southern California coming to a new restaurant and getting to play with some of these really kind of global flavors that Mayfield has, is there kind of that same desire to keep pushing agave and educate local diners or is there a whole new world of things that are open up to you? Totally. And I'm doing it in a, in a way with all the spirits that we carry. We're trying to, you know, push brands that you don't normally hear of. You know, for example, if someone wants a kettle soda, that's fine. I'll have it, but I'll have six other options for you that you haven't heard of that are just as wonderful. So in that respect, I want to make sure that people are having something that I haven't had. And like you said, my, my style of, of, of creating cocktails is definitely playing with perception. You know, I love playing with aromatics and, and making sure you think one way and then all of a sudden get blown away the other way. So um, that's kind of how I, I roll in that sense. San Juan itself, uh, for people that haven't been here, the renovation of the downtown kind of deeper area came out phenomenal. Mayfield's a beautiful restaurant. I've got Heritage Barbecue just opened up up the road. Um, there's so much that's happening here. The Inn at Mission, the brand new hotel just opened up a yes. couple of days ago. Exciting. There's so many different things that are happening. Is there any worry about shocking the kind of San Juan community a little too much, whether it's kind of because, again, I've yeah. talked to Danny Castillo on the podcast. They're already having issues of talking with people having to wait in line for Texas barbecue. Is there any issue of like scaring potential new customers with some of these new flavors? We always have that, you know, like, are we pushing too much? But I mean, if you're not pushing, you're not growing. So um, it's just a matter of educating um, our guests and making sure that they know what they're tasting as far as like after they get to experience it because if you just give it to them and not give them an explanation why you do things then people get lost and that's where there's the disconnect so I feel that um, if we're able to educate our guests and have a good time while doing it it's a win-win situation because they don't know what to expect next time they come. At the time that we're recording this it is uh, unofficially we're coming up on Negroni week I think a lot of people's favorite unofficial bar holiday <laughs> but we're also in the middle of Mescal week you're a big fan of mezcal yes. with a little bit of personal kind of interest in particular brands and things like that. Can you elaborate on that and kind of how your passion for that spirit came to be? Yeah, well, I mean, more than anything, I want to give a shout out to Max Rice from West Hollywood. He's really the one that has given me the the perception and, and the guide in order to understand agave in a little more in depth. Um, there's so much to it. It's a rabbit hole, but every day I'm learning more about it. And with what I was able to take from Grasses Madre, is I've, I've already implemented it here. All, all the brands that I carry are, are brands that I, I, I believe in and stuff that I had at the other location. And something that I really want to bring out to here because you don't really see um, Azunia, uh, Altasoro, you don't see, um, what's it called? Codigo or any of those brands as much in these parts of San Juan. So um, main reason why I like to carry them too, because you get to taste something tasty and, and not worry about what you're not, not having. Yeah. Um, Max is, I'm really glad you brought him up. He's somebody that I want to get on the podcast at some point. Uh, for those who may not be following him on social media, I think it's at beer ghost yes. is his name. And please give a follow because he's really, really doing a lot of agave education in a really hilarious way. Um, <laughs> not, you know, kneecapping Casamigos pretty much every other opportunity he can get, which I'm completely all for. Um, 
when you're dealing with kind of putting together, you mentioned that you have all your vendors that you work with and a lot of friends like that. There is kind of that push for some restaurants, I think, to just focus on kind of that kettle soda mentality because yeah. it's easy. Right. It's fast. There's nothing wrong with it. If that's what you want to drink, drink what you want to drink. Is there any, was there any pushback? Um, I've obviously had George on the podcast before the restaurant opened. Was there any pushback from him or what was it like coming in as kind of the you know, brand new face and being able to put it together? Well, I mean, it, it was a seamless, beautiful thing at the same time because he already had accounts set up because he uses uh, wine, the wines to cook. Mm -hmm. And so he already had a Southern account. So for me, it was like, oh, okay, cool. I don't have to set up anything. I can just start ordering. <laughs> so it was a win-win situation, but um, no, definitely no pushback. Obviously when you get to meet new reps, um, they have their go-tos that they push, but my always, I always try to explain what I'm, my bar program is all about and what I want to carry and what I want to have in the future. And so for that, you know, just whenever there's, I'm, I'm the type of guy that you can bring the weird stuff, you know, because yeah. I love all the weird stuff. That's the stuff that I, I like to use. Um, but yeah, in that respect, that's kind of how I go with my reps. I, I explain what I'm all about and what we're trying to do and, you know, create that, that chemistry, you know. And that's how you build the relationships. For people who are listening who are maybe just be industry fans, they're not actual industry. You know, you talk about kind of setting up accounts and we've already kind of touched on how fast you had to get this kind of bar program going, but there were already things in place. Could you kind of give a, a crash course for people that don't understand how much work there actually is in setting up a bar program? Yeah, well, I mean, for example, um, we run a all natural wine um, wine program here and so I don't have to worry about the wine which was awesome because that's another beast but you know always happy to learn um, but as far as the crash course for the bar program um, I had to set up everything from logistics as far as like how I'm going to set up my well um, what kind of cocktails will be able to be pushed within three to four minute ticket times um, you know what are going to be my wells you know like for example my well is the Evan Williams bottle and bond um, Denizen is my my well rum. You know, I have high high quality wells that you don't see. Period. And so um, I'm really excited to have them aboard because at the end of the day, it gives you another uh, palette that you you can have without you know knowing about it. You know. Have there been any surprises since getting to Mayfield so far? Things that have kind of like I guess again, you're moving so quickly and everything is moving so quickly in the restaurant industry. I mean, just yesterday we got announced that uh, we can do dine in at 25% capacity. Yeah. Have there been any kind of like moments where you stopped and breathed and you're like, oh shit, I didn't even realize this or that or anything like that? Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, with the new rules that just came out this weekend, I was kind of surprised, but at the same time relieved because we're already pushing that but maybe we can sit people in the bar top. So it's just something I have to talk to George about yeah. because we are technically all patio because of the way we're set up. So maybe we're able to sit maybe five people at the bar rather than none. So that's something cool because I, I really miss having people at the bar top and, you know, having that interaction that makes a difference when you have your patrons come in, you know? Yeah. It's one thing I think for, there's so many different aspects of the restaurant industry that when the shutdowns happened and people had to switch to takeout, obviously, you know, if you were a chef, you were still on the line. Maybe if it was an open concept kitchen, you weren't kind of being able to see and be seen. Servers, obviously, were a whole different animal. But bartenders, it's such an intimate relationship with the people that sit across from you. Yeah. Um, and the other bartenders I've talked to, you know, who may have been out of work or they didn't. Again, nobody can really have people at the bar um, unless some restaurants are making a decision to do that. But everybody talked about how they miss that personal aspect. Yeah. What's it been like during this entire shutdown to, again, be at Gracias when it shuts down, then it kind of all kicks away. What were some of the things that you missed most during the shutdown? 
Um, just like meeting up with my regulars and, and having interactions even with my, my fellow teammates, you know. Um, I don't see them as much as I would love to, but obviously because of, you know, what's going on. And, you know, we have life going on. And so sometimes it's hard to coordinate, you know, the right time frame. But I miss just having the social interaction uh, that you normally would have without even thinking about it because every day would be different, you know. Obviously, every day is different in a sense where, you know, um, and a rule can change, so it can change your your livelihood. But um, like any good bartender, we, we adapt. We adapt as we go. So um, I've been able to adapt as, you know, this whole COVID hit. And so I've been just, you know, trying to stay up flow and... Um, learn as I go because you know like my friend Ruben he likes to make sure that we're always on on par as far as like making sure our knowledge is on point and and just being open to seeing what happens because you know without that you can't do anything the uh the unofficial word of 2020 I'm, I'm basically treating it like every time I hear it take a drink is pivot uh but I like adapt a lot better and I don't know if any aspect of hospitality adapted better than the bar Oh, yeah. Um, I would say from packaging to the way that people were handling things, everybody really adapted so well. Uh, you yourself, you were launching a thing where basically people could buy cocktails from you and you yeah. were hand delivering them and you had like amazing packaging. I got a <laughs> bunch of margaritas and palomas from you. Um, at least I think I did. That Thursday gets a little hazy the day they showed up. Um, but how did that happen? I mean, what, I mean, because you didn't just like batch some cocktails and sell them to neighborhood right. friends. I mean, you had full on packaging, like details, graphics, and it was the same for so many bartenders. What is it about this aspect of the hospitality profession that just lends itself like so well to that? I, I mean, I, a lot of it has to do. Well, I got help from my wife, so she helped me, you know, with that, and I, I thank her for that. Because if it wasn't for her, um, I probably wouldn't have done it. Because I was really scared about doing it in the first place. Because you know, it's not the most you know, legal thing to do. Yeah. But um, at the same time, you know, I mean, you got to do what you got to do. That's kind of like the survive mentality. And um, I kind of was already, I, I learned how to batch through Max in, in a proper way because there's a misconception about batching. You know, when you think of batching and you think of a bar program and you don't know what it is, you think that it's laziness. But if you do it the right way, it's actually not laziness. Um, Flavors can really be um, absorbed even more abundant and can be more amplified if you do it the right way. Um, you know, making sure you're using fresh juices. You know, all that all that stuff t uh, takes into consideration. But um, yeah, I, I accounted for all that, and and I was able to you know have that packaging, like I said, and and and, and it worked because I mostly did it with my friends and family, and then from there I just carried on. Word of mouth was really everything. There's an aspect of the craft cocktail industry that it's very much for a lot of people who are new to it. It's the show aspect, right? It's oh, yeah. the they've never seen, you know, really pretty bar spoons. They've never seen <laughs> any type of like really good mixing glasses, like stirring. It's it's there's so much theater behind it for so many people that yeah. don't know. But you talk about batching when a bar gets three deep and you're really busy, you want to be able to crank out those cocktails really quick. Yeah. You need ticket times to make people happy with a bar program like Mayfield. And San Juan is a great dining area, but there's never been, I, I would stand behind this, I don't think there's ever been a solid craft program here in the area. Is there a balance that you're worried about between giving people that show and still being able to keep up with speed when you guys open full like full time? Totally. I'm always thinking five steps ahead. Um, right now, thinking of like when we start to open, like how am I going to you know crank these out? But you know, my experience has allowed me to adapt to those things. For example, um, six-step cocktails 
making them to three steps you know i can do it it's just depending on what it is going to be and what i put out there you know also making sure that my cocktails are not too over complicated because sometimes you gotta ease in into certain things before you actually start getting into more crazy things and so um yeah i mean those kind of things make a difference as far as making sure that your your guests are still ordering the cocktails that you put out and not feeling too intimidated and at the same time giving them an experience that they haven't had before so I want to kind of use batching to come back to agave a little bit because again, you were doing like again, like I said, I ordered margaritas from you and Palomas. Uh, yeah, pretty easy cocktails, ingredients wise. The better the ingredient, the better the cocktail. It's kind of like cooking. Totally. Margaritas are something I'm very passionate about. Agave. It's something I'm teaching myself about. Obviously, you're very passionate about it. Um, do you think that we can do a better job, or I guess I should say, how can we do a better job educating the Southern California public about agave? My standpoint is that we're so close to Mexico and there's so many beautiful products there. I think so many people think they're ordering a good margarita when in actuality, you know, glycerin water and pre bath lime juice. <laughs> yeah. What would you kind of say that we can do better in that aspect? Well, I mean, a lot of it is a culture shock type of thing. You have to re-educate the culture of how to, you know, think about tequila rather than, you know, first telling them because a lot of people think that tequila is just an ingester, you know, and it's actually meant to be sipping, you know, and a lot of people don't understand that and because they've been so focused on like, oh, let's take a shot, tequila, let's go, you know, and the cool thing about tequila, it's an upper, so it'll never bring you down, so it'll keep your vibes up, which is mm -hmm. awesome. But at the same time, um, when you're talking about a, a good margarita, you know, you just want to make sure you have good ingredients, great ingredients that are fresh, you know, fresh lime juice, agave. Um, sometimes you have the watered down agave, so you might have to use a little more. If you have the rich agave, maybe you have a little less. Um, you know, saline solution or a little bit of salt, you know, makes a difference to that bitterness of a margarita. And sometimes people don't even do either of them, which is totally fine, but it's just a matter of those little tweaks that really make a difference orange bitters instead of triple sec you know mm -hmm. those little tweaks make a difference in in a cocktail and, and more than anything i think it's just accepting different ways of doing things is a big difference rather than just going to your straightforward one thing all the time because you know there's always going to be a better way i want to ask what could be borderline perceived as a controversial question kind of given where we're sitting and the clientele and things like that <laughs> um I don't remember who it was, Punch or Imbibe, or somebody just ran a story about this, and it was a really, really well-written story, but it got me thinking. Uh, spicy margaritas. Yes. Overrated? They can be. They can be. But um, if you do them the right way, they can still be elegant. You know, I feel like um, a lot of the things that I like to do is making simple things look elegant, you know, and that's one of my favorite things of, of cocktail making, um, really making people think in that sense. One of the questions that's really getting pushed, as it should be um, narratively throughout the agave industry, is the act of kind of ethical yes. agave making. And there's so many different things that I think, for as much as I think even just common and maybe enthusiastic bar people, even like myself, like to think we know about spirits, if you talk, suddenly talk about like diffusing and things like that, you kind of see people glaze over. Yep. Can you, as kind of an expert in the field, elaborate kind of on what some of those processes are that some of the bigger brands or just some of these other kind of quote unquote cheaper brands are doing totally like it's simple things that obviously people don't know about so obviously you don't have a worry because they don't know it's happening but it's simple things as replanting agave after they use it uh, not over producing as far as um you know grabbing agave that is not even ripe yet you know um overproducing you know, adding, you know, for example, people think that, um, you know, tequila that's gold is tequila. 
but by term, 51% of it is agave. The other 49% is, you know, whatever you think it is. So it could be water, glycerin, you know, you name it. So, um, and people don't know that. So uh, things like that. But it's just simple ethical practices that, you know, um, if, if you're not replanting agave, you're not going to have it in the next 10 to 20 years. And, and that's something that Max really pushed. And that's something that stuck with me because if you don't, if, if we're not replanting, we're not going to have this in the next 20 years. So this could be the last batch you see in our lifetime. Yeah, I don't think people really understand how long it takes to grow these plants. Yes. I mean, and to harvest them, these things are absolute behemoths. I mean, yes. They're monsters, and it's so much work, and there's so many different things that go into it. But replanting them, like you said, is just such a massive undertaking because they just take forever. Uh, you mentioned glycerin, and this was something that I've known about, but you actually showed me this test at Gracias Madre, and it just actually do it in person kind of blew my mind <laughs> yeah. for people listening at home they're a little nervous they're looking at their back bar going shit am i doing something bad yeah um and they're looking at their tequilas right now explain what that is well because it, it's fun if it, nothing else it's it fun. is really fun i mean i love doing it. It, it especially with okay so the way I've, it is is basically uh testing your premium tequila that you think is premium you know normally a lot of people think that you know patron jose Do Julio, not naming bad names, but I mean, just saying, giving you examples. Casamigos, general examples. General examples. Listening, don't freak out the general examples. <laughs> and then um, say you grab like a well. For my well, I use Cimarron or Pueblo Viejo. And so what you do is you pour a little bit of, of the Pueblo Viejo onto your hand or the Patron, whatever you want to go first with, and you rub it on your hands. It looks a little a little bit gimmicky, but it makes a difference. So you rub it in your hands, and the longer it sits, the more sugar, glycerin that you know that is in the product. Um, if, if you pour Cimarron, Pueblo Viejo, and other non-diffuser tequilas, you're going to see that there's no uh, sugar residue uh, leaving in your hand. It should dissipate in, in between five to 10 seconds. The other one takes a little bit and you might even have to wipe your hand down with a napkin. And it's the crazy thing that happens that people don't know. It's just like, it's a, you have to see to believe type of thing. It is, it's a little bit of like a street magic trick. You kind of, it, it's like when you see people in the yeah, Vegas strip and you're like, no, bullshit, that doesn't work. It does, and yeah. it's fun. Um, I don't just want to beat agave into the ground, no pun intended, um, as much as we could kind of sit and talk about that all day. I do. You're obviously a man of many talents. What are some of the other spirits that you like to play with that maybe don't get as much kind of show or attention? Um, I would say gin. Gin is definitely a misconception for sure because everybody thinks that there's just Hendrix Bombay. Um, but there's so many beautiful gins out there. One of my favorites is Monkey 47, Botanist mm -hmm. 22. You know, such, such different... Um, different gins that bring so much depth into your cocktail and and that's a beautiful thing about spirits that they bring depth and layers to your palate that you would have never experienced if someone doesn't use them so um gin is definitely one of those big things um and uh this new spirit actually um it's a mexican whiskey uh, i i love playing with it because it's such a like a, one of those things like oh if it's not from kentucky that's not how can it be whiskey type of thing you know yep. and playing around with that uh, misconception so um and that's what at abasolo abasolo yeah yeah that's, it, it, that's a really fun it's one. awesome for anybody listening who's looking for something new on the back bar as we kind of start to head into you know whiskey months of drinking give that a look because that one's really really fun it's it's made out of 100 percent ancestral corn and they, they call it a process of nixtamalization 
which what it does, it, it breaks down the outer, outer layer of the corn and they put it in a, a high intense heat in order to break down the, the corn so they can get the flavor out of it. And, and that's something that you don't you know, hear of, you know, unless you're talked about. So that's something that's really cool. You know, especially if you're into like whiskey and that stuff, because it's made out of 100% corn. So no other grain or mash is just 100% corn. So we talked about putting the bottles together. We've talked about kind of putting some of the cocktails together um, with regards to those cocktails really quick. Only having a handful of days. What was the R&D process like? Because, I mean, normally an R&D session is getting the whole team together and sitting down and, you know, everybody kind of submit one and let's see what we do and break it down. And did you even have and I want to get to this in a second. Did you even have a team to R&D with or did you basically just kind of roll into town like I'm here kicking the door? Here's my cocktails. Learn them quick. My my team consisted of um, myself and my friend Julian and then Ruben. He helped me with a couple cocktails, but it was basically just run and go because we didn't have time. I didn't have time to be like, hey, does this work? Does this work? A lot of it, um, you know, a lot of my R&D goes with um, trial and error that I've done before. And I I just go with my instinct and go with the flavor profiles that I know have worked before and then tweaking them in a sense that, you know, are already different, you know. So um, a lot of it has to do with, you know, um, palettes that I've tasted before. Um, and yeah, that R&D took about a couple of days and then I'm like, okay, I know I got my game winners because I just wanted to have four, four to five cocktails that, you know, I can put out consistently really well and not worry about, eh, I don't know if they'll work, you know, so. At the time that we're recording this, you guys have done, give or take, you know, two weeks of supper clubs. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the response been like to the cocktails? I haven't had any cocktails turned back, so. Oh, good. That's a good thing. That's so always far. a good sign. Um, as far as putting a team together during all this, I mean, what's it been like for you? I mean, first of all, how many days a week are you here at the restaurant, like working and prepping? And um, I have uh, two days off, but I, I'm pretty much working every day because I'm making sure that everything's running smoothly from the back end. You know, I got to make sure my orders are in. I got to make sure that, you know, I have my, my produce in with Chef because he helps me order those for the moment. And just make just communication, really. Um, that's something that I've... Um, that's helped me a lot as far as like getting better because you know sometimes when you're a bartender you rely on yourself and then your other teammates and and if you don't have a strong chemistry then you don't know who to rely to so you know i know that i can rely on george and and hiro and my other uh, bartender friends um and ask for help whenever i need it what about putting together the rest of that bar staff i mean is it is it impossible finding people is it just kind of finding the right people is it just right not now, even bothering right now <laughs> it's it's hard because like uh i know we're in a tough time um and at the same time um we have the time period to i can i can hire another person but at the same time we don't know what to expect yet because the business levels are still you know getting a little more um busy i guess you can say sorry the word didn't, didn't make sense but um I definitely want to hire another person. Um, it'll make a difference as far as like staggering shifts, because at the same time we're not busy enough to have more than three bartenders. But there's that running fear that so many restaurants have. Uh, again, I was at my first media event at a restaurant last night, and they had just gotten the news. They they heard the rumor a couple of days ago that it was going to be the 25 percent. Yeah. But I talked to one of the owners, and he goes. Yeah, I got to hire a shit ton of people this week because all of a sudden I've got, you know, 60 more seats that we're going to be filling. And again, it's a bigger place, but there is that constant fear that if the switch gets flipped tomorrow, all of a sudden it's going to be like the Wild West. It's going to be like the very first NFL draft. Everybody's just going to be going after everybody. Two things. As far as like for my staff, as far as like my staffing goes, like how I I go about 
hiring my, my bartenders, I make sure that they just want to learn. They're genuine good people because if they're genuine good people, I know that service will fall into place. Um, and then more than anything, just be able to, you know, talk to them as a, as a person. Because in the end of the day, we're just people, you know. I, I, I like to make sure that when I'm not working, I have a balance. And so that's what keeps it so fresh for me. Um, so I, I, I like that aspect of it. Um, as far as um, Mayfield goes, as far as like feeling that pressure, we feel it. But at the same time, what's so beautiful about it, we can make sure that to feel, make it seem, and it is more exclusive than you know, just coming in and and come and and thinking that we're just that spot. You know, um, we want to make sure that we become that place where people come three to four times out of the week and and experience us because we're we just that neighborhood vibe type of thing. Yeah. But right now, we're trying to get into breakfast, lunch, dinner. We're working backwards because that's the time period that we're in but um we yeah i mean at the same time like there's a good level of um we want to make sure people feel um happy and excited about coming in and seeing a new spot and not just be like oh it was all right you know yeah. one of the things that uh, you kind of brought it up being able to offset some shifts and things like that there were so many aspects of the hospitality industry in general um, that were being discussed kind of before this all broke out, uh, you know, treating mental health, whether it's substance abuse in certain aspects, a better work-life balance, pay rates, things like that. Are there any aspects, having kind of been such a veteran in the industry, that you hope don't come back from the COVID shutdown, or at least are kind of acknowledged and recognized to be able to be changed? Especially because I mean, the bar industry especially gets its ass kicked maybe more than any other because yeah. you guys are so susceptible depending on where you're working to that you know 2 a.m finish and you're not home till four in the morning and right you know it's like a rock show you're wide awake after that are there any things that you'd like to see change or maybe hope to change with kind of setting up something like this it's hard because to be honest it's just going to be harder for people to get a, a job um because it's going to be one of those places like you either make it or you don't yeah. and and you're gonna try to find the best people that you can because they're the people that can do five three five to six tasks, you know, at a time, you know, and, and the people that, you know, know that can make it in the longer run and they have potential, you want to really hire them, but you don't have time for them or you don't have, you know, shits for them. And that's the shitty part. Um, pardon my French. No, but. you're good. It's literally set up to be explicit. So <laughs> you can say whatever you want. <laughs> but yeah, no, uh, as far as that goes, but to be honest, just uh, give and if, if, if that wasn't the case, I would love to see more opportunity to the people that really want to learn because I have that, those people in mind because a lot of my barbacks that I've trained, I train them as my bartenders. Yeah. And, and it's just better that way because that way you're not hiring someone that's hierarchy type of thing. And um, it's just a better relationship because they know that they can keep you, they know that you have your word type of thing. Yeah. And, and I feel like that's, that's overseen nowadays as far as like in any aspect in life, you know, your word. Even if you get people that want to learn, if you all of a sudden, and again, maybe the business setup of Mayfield at the moment is, is beneficial to this, but if you get people that want to learn, but all of a sudden you do get busier, are you going to have time to teach? Uh, I always, I always try to find my time um, because... You, you can gauge it. You can gauge it by based on the people that say they want to learn or they actually do it. You know, they take the time outside of work to learn. You know, they're, they're really studying the recipes or whatnot, their techniques outside of work. You know, you, you, you'll, you'll see those kind of things. And, you know, there's always those people that just talking that say they want to they want the easy route. 
Yeah. You know? And so um, I know when to give my time. Good. That's awesome, man. Um, there's other, obviously other influences kind of outside of just the restaurant, everybody that works in the restaurant um, that impacts kind of the food and hospitality industry as a whole, specifically, you know, the media. One of the big things that we're seeing now is the development of so many stories coming out about, you know, just stories not being shared, whether it's, you know, from a woman's aspect or people of color, obviously the massive shakeup at Bon Appetit. Are there anything or any specific items, I guess I should say, that you think should change in the way that restaurants are covered to kind of help them and benefit them or bar programs, again, cocktail culture as a whole, anything like that? I feel like always just having setting up the rules from the get go. That way there's no surprises, you know, and I feel that just keeps everyone accountable at that in that aspect. Um, Personally, I haven't had an issue with it yet. Um, So luckily, knock on wood, I'm good. But at the same time, it's just I feel like that's that's the normal thing to do, I guess, from from my perspective, because I feel if everyone knows what they're expected, then they know what they should be doing type of thing, you know? I know there's been some pushback lately because people are starting to come out now that they're dining out a little bit more. And one of the evils that's kind of returned with it, whether you agree or not, is Yelp. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think anybody that gives a one-star Yelp review during a global pandemic should be just drawn and quartered and left out in a field somewhere. <laughs> That's obviously just my opinion. Don't do it. It's just an opinion. Um, what can we do to help better, like better educate diners so that they don't kind of have that expertise about nothing type of mentality? It's so hard because like a lot of there's a lot of uh, variables that you can't control, you know, and at the end of the day, all you can do is your best. And so if you're trying to do your best, especially during this time period, you should have that mentality like, okay, well, it could be, it could have gone better. You know, sometimes like we take social media to such extreme that it just doesn't make sense, but that's the, the world we live in. Um, but a lot of the things go into, you know, explaining those same scenarios that people don't understand because one, they've probably never had it before. B, they've probably never had it in the version that they're tasting it. And C, it's just a different experience because at the end of the day, we're in a pandemic. So um, I don't get it. But I mean, I also don't see too much into it because, you know, I, it's kind of shitty for me to say. But I mean, I am also, I try to please everyone as much as I can, but I know yeah. I can't please everyone. Yeah. And so that's kind of the mentality I have too. You know, I, I'll make... Um, I'll go outside my way to make sure that you're taken care of. But I mean, if someone's not happy, I mean, I tried my best. I know I did my best to do it. So that's kind of how I see it. Is it exciting being in a position like you are now with so much opportunity to educate? Because the restaurant itself is so different from not just other things in the area, but a lot of different, I would say a lot of restaurants kind of in general. Um, and the whole thing is basically set up to educate where you're talking about, you know, high roast food, the natural wines, yes. you know, your cocktails. Is it exciting from that aspect oh, to yeah. know that there's so much kind of education ahead of you? Yes. Um, just like me learning, um, there's so much gratification in teaching. Um, and obviously, I don't know everything, but the stuff that I do know, I make sure that I, I educate people that don't know it, especially my teammates. Um, and and I, I can see it in their eyes. You know, as us bartenders, we can read people's mannerisms. We can read how people act. And I can see that they're really enjoying the, the knowledge because it really makes them feel comfortable when they're exploring explaining the the recipes to the guests as they're talking about it so I love that aspect you know that's something that for me as I've been getting into my I guess you could say career um, 
that's something that I enjoy the most now, uh, being able to teach and show what I can do and, you know, other levels to it, layers. And I, I am enjoying that for sure. Good, man. That's great. When you're not here and you're not trying to put together cocktail programs and single-handedly, you know, run the San Juan craft scene, um, <laughs> what are you doing to stay busy? What are you doing when you do have free time? What are you up to? Um, I try to go to the gym. I, I, I try to hang out with my wife as much as possible. Um, you know, our right now our goals are to buy a house. So um, we just say hustle and bustle right now. So even though we don't see each other, you know, it's for a good cost. Yeah. So um, that's really what our mentality is right now. Is she liking that you're here too? Does she kind of like the vibe of it and she knows you're yeah. in a good spot? Yeah, she loves it. She, she's been here already twice in the first week, so uh, she's, she's enjoying it <laughs> for sure. <laughs> it's a good work perk when you can come on in. And, yeah. Yeah, I like that, man. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, dude, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. You obviously are a busy man and you got a lot of stuff to do. Obviously, as everybody can hear, the restaurant is already kind of starting to hustle and bustle. So this was uh, absolutely awesome to kind of be able to sit down and do this in person. And oh, man, this I, was such a nice change to be kind of out and about and have to shower and, and get this on the books. So. <laughs> dude, I love this. Thank you so much for having me, Crawford. Oh, man, this was absolutely awesome. So, uh, brother, if people want to find you online, they want to follow you, anything like that, where can they do that? Um, you can find me at Bowtie Louie underscore L-U-I Louie. And um, yeah, just DM me if you need any questions. I'm always available. So please don't be shy from asking me anything. I'll, I'll make sure to, you know, do my time. Awesome. All right, brother. I appreciate the time, man. Appreciate you. Thank See you, you so much, man. Oh, man, that one felt good to get out in person and actually talk, be with people have a cup of coffee, share, kind of get back to a little bit of humanity, all those things that COVID has kind of taken away. I hope you enjoy the episode. Um, if you live in the area and have not been to Mayfield yet, they, depending on when you're listening to this, again, we recorded, you know, it's September 18th when I'm recording this kind of intro and outro and about to release the episode on Patreon. We recorded a little bit before that the week prior. Um, Mayfield is still doing their supper clubs, but they're going to be open for standard service soon. They just launched their breakfast and lunch menu. Uh, go down and check them out. Um, I, I really like the restaurant. Obviously, talking to George kind of sold me on it. And then going myself and experiencing what they're doing, it's a special place. So, And if you're a fan of drinks at all, and you know it's 2020, so how the hell can you not be? Go check out Bowtie Louie slinging drinks with his team down there. Really, really some really good stuff. Um, I hope you learned something from the episode. Definitely, if you're in the mood for a party trick, do that whole glycerin test. It's a fun one. It'll shock some of your friends. And, you know, if you're in the mood for a drink and you can't make it out to a bar and you want to stay home, totally cool, too. Just drink good stuff. All right, everybody. Episode 31 is coming up soon. 32, 33, and so forth. All the way to as many episodes as I can get. Thank you, as always, for your support. And I'll see you next time. The Best Seats Podcast is an original production of The Best Seats. It is written, edited, produced, and owned by myself, Rafa McCarthy, founder and owner of The Best Seats. It is recorded in Aliso Viejo, California. It is subsidized through generous donations through patreon.com slash the best seats. The following are names that are subscribed at the highest tier, aka norm status, and thus allow me to produce the show each and every episode. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Here are the supporters. Alexander Cook, Katie Cassie, Eric Lutz, Serena Warino, Cheryl McCarthy. Thank you for your support.